Hey y'all, it's Kate. Just wanted to drop a quick disclaimer at the top of this episode to say that the audio might be a little bit bumpy. There were kids home from school due to negative 50 degree wind chills in Duluth, Minnesota. Um, And some of us are recording under blanket forts and another person's recording on a foosball table. So uh, please forgive the bumps and we hope that you enjoy. Hello, welcome to the Farm Commons podcast, where we make farm law accessible and actionable for sustainable farmers and ranchers, as well as their networks of support. I'm Eva. And I'm Kate. In each episode, we explore real legal issues faced on farms every day, providing key knowledge and tangible solutions to help you grow a thriving agricultural business. From managing liability to navigating tough conversations with landlords and neighbors, we've got your back. Let's get started. Hi folks, it's Eva here with Kate. Hey. And we're back with an important discussion today on a farm law matter that is current and real, and that is discrimination and insurance policies. And we've produced a lot of episodes lately exploring issues that block farmers from using insurance policies, and discrimination is a big one. And while an important issue, it is not clearly solvable. In the past, at Farm Commons, we've grappled with whether or not to talk about issues we can't provide clear solutions for. You know, why just sit around talking about problems, right? But in the end, we think it is still very useful to talk about difficult problems, even if the answers are harder to find. When we discuss the issues, we learn, we grow, and we build momentum. And this is empowering. It's so true, Eva. And folks who are listening know that discrimination in the agricultural world is not a new subject. Uh, People might be familiar with it in particular in agricultural lending and land purchasing. And racial discrimination especially is well documented, like in the Pigford v. Glickman case. So it's safe to say that discrimination exists in other areas of farm support services too. Yeah. And because of that, you know, I think it feels safe to say that because bias and discrimination touch every aspect of life. And we at Farm Commons have heard anecdotal stories of suspected discrimination in securing insurance policies. Um, That's really what's bringing us to the table to talk about this today. So folks out there, our listeners, um, you know, if you're wondering if you're not being sold insurance policies because of your skin color or wondering if, you know, your claim was denied because English isn't your first language, we're going to explore, you know, what, what you might be able to do moving forward. And so we're asking really the question, what can farmers and ranchers do if they suspect discrimination is blocking them from accessing risk management tools like insurance? And, you know, I'm just going to be straight up while we don't have a magic bullet answer for you today. This is still a question worth trying to answer. And our executive director and attorney, Rachel, is back with us today to help set some guideposts for how our community can navigate this issue together. Hey, Rachel. Hey, Rachel. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm glad we're here to talk about this and shine a light on this, you know, super important, but sometimes not explored issue. 
Um, and like you mentioned, we're talking about the potential for discrimination around crop and livestock insurance that's subsidized by the federal government. Um, you've heard from our past episodes, these are policies like whole farm revenue protection, the micro farm option, especially that we covered in episode 47. But we've also got those other, you know, things like multi-parallel policies, livestock gross margin policies, good stuff. There's a few of them. Um, but uh, let's get ourselves a bit more grounding before we get into the, the legal mechanics. So uh, if you don't mind, if I dive right in, imagine you are a farmer who has a dozen acres in cultivation. You grow a mix of specialty crops. And then you hear about a peer who has a similar sized operation in your county. Let's say that they were able to get microfarm crop insurance coverage. And let's also say you're kind of worried because you're in an area that's prone to, prone to you know, damage, like uh, smoke damage or something like that. And it's been kind of bad for you in the past. Let's say you're worried this season has got to go off without a hitch. You don't want to go out of business. You know, after learning that the microfarm policy could provide enough coverage for your operation to keep you solvent, you decide, hey, this is good. I, you know, I need this. Except... You also have a hard time doing that. You get to, you try to get a meeting with a crop insurance agent. And let's say after speaking to them on the phone, they're not following up with you or returning your calls or helping you with the paperwork. Or maybe you go in for an appointment and the agent says, ah, sorry, you know, I I don't think you qualify. Um, These things do happen. And sometimes there's good reasons. But in other cases, the reason for why these things aren't progressing could be rooted in discrimination. I think it's important to emphasize here that people can be discriminated against based on their race, their age, ability, gender, sexual orientation, and more. So this is an issue that touches everyone. And in this episode, we're hoping to outline ways that a a person can seek resolution if they suspect discrimination against themselves. And we're hoping to offer some ways that people in the agricultural community can protect each other. Absolutely, Kate. You know, whether you're watching out for yourself or your peers or your clients, if you're an agricultural service provider, the first place to start is to spot discrimination. And to do that, we've got to understand how the law defines it. I think folks generally understand what discrimination is, but when we're talking about the law, there is more nuanced to understand per usual. So Rachel, could you define discrimination as we're talking about it here? Well, sure, absolutely. So it's easy to assume that discrimination means unfair treatment or that someone was denied justice. But of course, like you said, Kate, the legal definition is more constrained. So in basic terms, discrimination is being denied something or an opportunity someone else was given because of a certain characteristic that the person has and where that characteristic is protected by law. So these things include race, ethnicity, sex, gender, and more, just just like you mentioned, Kate. Um, So to go back to our previous example, you know, a crop insurance insurance agent won't say you a policy because, let's say, the agent suspects you are growing marijuana because of the way that you look, which could be based on race or ethnicity. And now that's not an easy example to give because we're talking about, you know, terrible gross generalizations. But, you know, this is what the law has us working with. Discrimination can also look like an agent not moving paperwork forward or 
the deadline passes, a claim is not handled properly, it's denied when it should have been approved and it was approved for someone else. You know, these are pain points to watch out for where discrimination might be occurring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so true, Rachel. This does feel like a pretty reductive and clinical way of thinking of people boiling it down to those certain characteristics because, you know, we all hold, you know, so many pieces to our identity and we are not just how the law defines us. Um, And it's, you know, not fun and probably doesn't feel empowering to hear this. But we do hope that sharing the legal logic uh, as a tool um, that you can use can help you understand how to spot discrimination in the course of your own business activities and in your farming communities. And this is a shout out to all you listeners out there. This is why we're doing this work. Totally. That's 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 exactly why we're here. Um, we want to describe the logic for how the law understands discrimination so that you know how to spot it to support filing a complaint. Uh, but before we get to that that complaints process, I want to I'm going to finish up our example. So how do you know if a crop insurance agent is making a decision not to sell you a policy because, say, you're a black farmer and the agent is assuming, you know, you're doing something illicit or you're a Spanish-speaking farmer and they assume you don't have proper documentation? While feeling and intuition into your experience are important, to determine that service was denied because of a protected characteristic we have to compare the situation to a similar instance where the specific characteristic wasn't there. Which I'm imagining is tricky because there are so many factors involved. And like, for example, uh, an adjuster's work around processing a claim will consider how sufficient disease control methods were. An insurance agent may need to consider how many years a person has been in business or how adequate their managerial experience has been when they're making an eligibility decision, or how reasonable an expansion plan is when deciding on insurable revenue. So the list really goes on. And I'm thinking of an example where a black farmer, let's call them Joe, operated on five acres in a rural area with a gross revenue of 100 k last year. After three years in business with yields comparable to neighbors, they are told by our crop insurance agent that they will not be insured for 200k this year, despite submitting solid plans for expansion. So then if a white farmer, we'll call them Sam, comes in with a similar situation, small farm in the early years of getting established with a decent track record, and Sam received coverage for double his historic revenue after submitting similar plans for expansion through that same agent. Then we can say, aha, the only thing different is that the first person was black and the second person was white. Thus, it must have been their race that motivated the agent not to ensure the expanded revenue to the policy. But that is really what I outlined there is a very ideal scenario for defending a discrimination claim and one that many farmers or ranchers will not find themselves in. Right, Kate. And even in that scenario, you know, we know, as a farm commons, that's not the end of the line. There's always the chance of a defense where the agent might say, no, it was because you didn't have, you know, good access to irrigation on those expanded acres. That's why we didn't sell you the policy. Um, and, and the other person had maybe excellent irrigation access. They, they can counter with, um, yeah, their defense of how they see things happen and why a decision was made. 
You are totally clarifying that goal, Eva. We don't just want to spot discrimination. We want to do something to rectify the instance so that all farmers and ranchers have equal access to federal crop insurance and, of course, other federal support. We, we need a way to talk about what we're experiencing and to discuss it. And the law gives us options for handling the process from there. Okay, so if our listeners think that they might have experienced discrimination, what can they do? Well, the first option is a lawsuit. Um, most folks can't afford to hire an attorney, so this option is probably a non-starter. Um, but it's, it's still helpful to know about in case it is the right option. So uh, uh, the standard flavor of, um, of, a, of a lawsuit in this case would be called a civil suit. And that means it's, this is not a criminal offense. Um, and criminal cases are generally brought by a district attorney, for example. So in a civil suit, the person making the claim needs to find and pay for their own attorney. Usually you go into an attorney's office, you sit down, you discuss your case, you bring your story and your evidence, and the attorney helps you understand what it might take to win. They might say, oh boy, uh, we don't have enough evidence yet, but we could try to collect more. We could ask the insurance agent for records. We could interview people. Or it's possible that they would say, Wow, this case is a slam dunk. You know, either way, it's a service you got to pay for. Some attorneys work on contingency, which means they only earn their fee if you win. But folks who do that only take on cases that have a high probability of winning. And discrimination cases, they can be quite difficult to win. Hmm. Rachel, it feels like we're back to trying to figure out whether... The issue is really about the farmer's irrigation system or the color of their skin. Totally. I mean, let's say that the evidence shows it was about skin color. It was about race. And that's what the court finds. You know, in a civil case, you get money for your damages. Your damages for not being sold a policy may not be much because the likelihood of you needing to file a claim on that policy is low. So further, attorneys who work on contingency, well, they would take a share of the award, of the damages. And so if that dollar value is already low, that may also influence your ability to find an attorney who will bring the case for you. So uh, the bottom line on these kinds of lawsuits, civil suits can be challenging to bring. And that's not really fair because no justice is served. People deserve more accessible ways to try to rectify these issues. So since crop insurance is funded through USDA, I'm wondering, does the USDA have a system for filing discrimination complaints? Yes, yes, they do. So um, federally subsidized crop insurance is handled through the Risk Management Agency, or RMA, and which is an agency of USDA. And they administer the federal crop and livestock insurance programs. Now, RMA has a civil rights office, and it is designed to receive and address claims of discrimination in federally supported programs, including insurance like this. So their process starts with filing a formal complaint. Now, that's like one to two pages, and as you can guess, it asks you to detail what happened. It also asks you how you'd like to see the complaint resolved and whether you are filing anything in court or with another agency. So that sounds good that there's another way to get voices heard that doesn't require a bunch of cash for an attorney. Um, what happens next in, in this process through RMA after we tell USDA about the problem? What can we expect? 
Sure, sure. Well, you can certainly expect the office to review the complaint. And if the complaint fits the standards that are needed to go forward, and I mean, what does that mean? Well, that's that's like what we talked about earlier. Um, do you have a, a, a legally protected characteristic? Were you denied something? Was it, you know, does it seem like it might be on the basis of that protected characteristic? If it looks like we were check, we'll be checking the boxes here, then the process goes in one of two directions. First, a person could go towards what we call alternative dispute resolution. You might hear the acronym ADR being thrown around. That's what it means. Basically, what that is, is talking things out with a neutral party, you know, sitting down and, um, and seeing what you can work out. The second option is something called investigation and adjudication. Sounds more formal, is more formal. Think of this like a more of a court style environment where we look at evidence and someone decides who's right, who's wrong, who did the bad thing. Adjudication in general terms means to make a formal decision about a dispute. So you can expect that coming out of it. And the process of exploring a complaint is controlled by the USDA? It is, uh, by the Office of Civil Rights. Now, you know, there are drawbacks to this option, and that is one. Not everyone will feel comfortable using a process within USDA to address what the person sees as a fault of USDA's problem. Of, of inequitable access to insurance. Now, USDA's approach to preventing these issues is by requiring agents to post civil rights notices, and the agency conducts checks for compliance. Okay, so going through the civil rights office uh, could be a good alternative to the lawsuit option because it can save money without having to hire an attorney to navigate the process. But at the same time, you know, this is not a court system, and if people are looking for a financial settlement for your harm done, then the civil rights office options might not meet their goals. Correct. Yes. Not everyone will be satisfied with the USDA complaints process. Folks come from all different backgrounds, experiences, perspectives. And we are on the path to equity when a variety of opportunities are available to pursue justice where folks can leverage power consistent with their values and their needs. And whether pursuing a civil rights complaint or working with an attorney on a civil suit, folks have opportunities to pursue justice. Absolutely, Rachel. That choice piece is so important, and it's one we definitely want to lift up. And before we go, I'd love to share yet another means we can use to address and prevent the harms of discrimination. And there's this old phrase uh, that says, sunlight is the best disinfectant. And I think that was actually an old Supreme Court justice's quote. And they were meaning that where we shed light, where we create transparency, toxic environments are less likely to flourish. And as an agricultural community, we can together shed more light on what each of us is seeing and getting with crop and livestock insurance. And that can look like um, a potluck, you know, imagine a potluck where farmers and ranchers sit down to visit about the insurance policies that you are buying and your experience filing those claims. So transparency is definitely something we can all contribute to, to help address this issue. And this is an opportunity in particular for farmers who don't worry about discrimination against themselves because they aren't from a marginalized group. How can they still contribute to equity. Talking, sharing experiences, good and bad, sharing information that you might have with others who may be more new to the business, 
or have fewer resources in the community. And thinking specifically here for white farmers who have English as their native language, proactively sharing information about your experiences can really help. And this could take many forms. It could look like creating a resource list or hints and tips document and sharing it with your local agricultural community listserv, um, asking other other people to contribute to it. It could also be, like Eva said, a conversation at a potluck. And all of this can create more local knowledge. And if you are thinking about switching agents and you don't have any leads or recommendations, USDA does have their own list of available agents at their website, which can be found through their agent locator tool, which we have linked in the show notes. Yeah, and all of these efforts are really towards building a reality where all farmers and ranchers can have equal access to federal crop insurance programs, and everyone has a role to play as we build it. So we're hopeful this episode helps point you to powerful options no matter who you are. Thanks for tuning in. Please join us next time. Thanks, everyone. We're so glad you joined us for this episode of the Farm Commons podcast. If you are looking for more resources on your burning farm law questions, visit our website at farmcommons.org for a variety of workshops, guides, checklists, tutorials, and more. You can also email your questions and comments to info at farmcommons.org. Stay tuned for our next episode, and until then, keep growing. And uh, this is Rachel saying this material is funded in partnership by USDA Risk Management Agency under award number RMA 22 CPT 0012392.